Hey, good morning everybody. Welcome to Cedar Valley Church this morning. My name is Grant, one of the pastors here at the church, and I'm super glad that you have decided to spend your morning with us. Uh, if this is your first time here, a special welcome to you. We would love to get to know you better. And one of the best ways for us to be able to do that is if you're here on in person on our campus service, uh, find someone wearing a lanyard, uh, somebody out in the lobby. We'd love to just to connect with you better, uh, get you plugged in here, get to know you better. We can get our pastors connected with you. If you're joining us online, throw something in the comments or send us a message or email us at hello at cedarvalley.ca. We would just love to start some of that relationship going. Otherwise, it's kind of hard sometimes to tell, you know, who's new, who's not. There's a number of us here online on campus, but all in all, we're just happy all of you've joined us this morning. Uh, one of the best ways for everybody to stay informed about the different things happening around here at the church, some of our Christmas stuff coming up, uh, different activities, fundraisers, ways to be involved, good devotional posts during the week, just to you know, kind of keep connections and stuff going beyond just our Sunday morning services. Make sure you're following us on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel. You can subscribe to that. You might be joining us on that right now. Or you can head to our website, cedarvalley.ca, and sign up for our weekly email newsletter, where we just kind of compile all the different stuff that's happened throughout the week, some prayer, some praise, devotionals, uh, partner organizations too, what's going on with them. Send that out on Friday. Uh, a lot of good content there. And if you have come this morning kind of prepared to give uh, just as an act of worship and service, a way of just celebrating what God has given us, uh, pouring it into the ministry and work we're hearing, doing here at the church, Cedar Valley, uh, working out the kingdom of God here in the city and town of Mission. A uh, few ways you can do that. You can do that if you're here on campus. There's some bins at the back of the church sanctuary. You can do that. We have a debit machine over in the corner or online. That's cedarvalley.ca slash give. A few different options there. And we're just so thankful for your continued support that's helped us, uh, frankly, keep the doors open, keep our staff employed, and keep doing ministry and outreach into our community here. So big thing that we're just gonna do a bit of a pre-announcement here coming up for this Christmas season. Last year, you may remember something that we started off that was new and really fun and powerful, the reverse advent calendar. We're doing it again. It was such a hit. And here's the basic teaser of what it is. A lot of times, you know, it's Christmas season, December 1st hits, you grab your advent calendar, you open up the thing, get a chocolate. Instead, what we're inviting you to do, and we're also asking you to like let your family and friends and neighbors know and your coworkers, inviting everybody to do is every single day for the month of December leading up until Christmas Eve, rather than getting a little treat or token for yourself, we're gonna put something away into a bin and then we're gonna bring that down to the Mission Food Bank. And we just wanna bless those who need it, support our community, especially after this flood, the devastation that we're seeing, especially out on Hassock Island and in the Sumas Prairie and further up in Merritt and Princeton, a lot of need and God's given so much to us and frankly we're all quite blessed here especially if you're high and dry right now where our church campuses we're doing quite well so we want to pour that back out so reverse advent calendar take a look for that next sunday we're going to be giving out the information for it and we're also doing this partnered with some of the other churches here in mission because it's such a good thing we just want to make this explode and stock the shelves of the food bank and make sure that there's more than enough to give all right so we're gonna get the service started here in just a moment. We're gonna have a time of worship singing, uh, just an opportunity to celebrate who God is, uh, words of praise. There's gonna be lyrics on the screen, so we invite you to join in however you feel comfortable. 
After that, we've got a special time uh, lesson just for the kids. If you're joining us online, we've got a video and we're gonna do a little bit of a celebration for the Christmas shoe boxes that we've been packing over the last few weeks. Uh, if you're here on campus, we'll be dismissing you kids. You can head to the back at that time. We'll come up and you have a special service for you just downstairs, really exciting. Parents, if you're here, uh, make sure your kids are signed in. They should have a little name tag. If they don't, find somebody wearing a lanyard. We'll get you checked in. Make sure your kids are safe and that they have a great time. After that, Pastor Rob is bringing us a message in our sermon series about our mission, vision, and values, who we are as a church and how we want to live out our faith here in the community. This morning, we're talking about a value of inviting, being an invitational church, wanting to just have open doors, open hearts, open arms to people around us, to the community. Before we get into all that this morning, church, uh, if you've been following us on our social media and our newsletter too, we've just been uh, directing and asking for pleas of prayer. We're going through a massive flood time for a lot of us. It might be the first kind of natural disaster that we've experienced in our lifetimes that's hitting this close to home. I live out in Abbotsford and can literally see a new lake that's formed that hasn't ever existed before in my memory. And we've been uh, talking about ways to be actively involved and ways that we can be active followers of Jesus during a disaster like this. And a huge one is prayer. So this morning, Cedar Valley, we're just gonna put up a few directives on the screen here that will just help you go through it. Just invite you where you're at, if you're watching online, if you're here on campus, either by yourself or turn to a neighbor, turn to somebody you've come with. We're gonna spend a few minutes in prayer for everything that's happening, uh, for all the victims of the flood, for people who've been displaced from their homes, have lost possessions, have lost their safety, security, and, and livelihood, uh, for all the relief workers, rescue workers who are just working around the clock right now, for all the amazing volunteers who've just been pouring out time and money and resources to support people. Uh, there's so many big things, but also just celebrations for the good things that God has done amidst a disaster like this. And frankly, at the end of this all, is just for an end to it, God, that God can intervene and work miracles. And so we're just gonna ask God to do exactly that, to put an end to this destruction and to allow the support, relief and rebuilding to be effective, successful and quick. Thank you for joining us everyone this morning. We're gonna spend a few minutes in prayer. I invite you to do that wherever you are. And other than that, we're in for a great service.
There's a grace when the heart is under fire. Another way when the walls are closing in. When I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning, I know I will never be alone. There is another ring of fire standing next to me. There is another ring of waters holding back the sea. And should I ever be reminded of how I've been set free, there is a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. There is another
Cedar Valley kids, good morning. I hope you're having a great morning so far and we've got an exciting video coming up for you that is about a guy in the Bible named Moses and something happened to him that I betcha has not ever happened to you. It has to do with a talking bush that's on fire. So I think you're gonna enjoy seeing that. Before that video starts, I just wanna tell you a couple of things. The first one is these shoe boxes are full and we're so thankful that for everybody who filled one up or maybe more, they are heading on their way tomorrow and they are heading to a country where there are children who are in such poor families that they wouldn't get any other Christmas gifts. So this box full of gifts is gonna be so special for them and you were a big part of that. So thank you so much. And the even more important thing about that is that they're going to get to hear about Jesus through those boxes. So good job. And then the other thing I wanted to tell you too is that this is the last week of November. So that means that for those of you who come to Cedar Valley Kids Wednesday night, it will not be happening this week. And instead we will be doing our family night, which is a movie night here at the church and we're gonna be showing you cars. So come ready for some fun. This is for your whole family. We're gonna give you popcorn, you bring your own water bottles and bring something to get cozy in a blanket or pillow. And if you have something cars themed, that would be super fun if you brought that along. So it could be a blanket or pajamas or something. Bring that along and we're gonna have a great time. So now get ready for the video and enjoy. the Faithful Hall of Fame, Moses. This is Moses. Hey Moses was an Israelite boy born in Egypt in a time when Israelite boys were not supposed to live. Wait, huh? The Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians but God had a special plan for Moses. Oh, eh? And he spent his childhood in the palace of the Pharaoh. You see, when Moses grew up, he made a big mistake. Uh oh. Pharaoh found out what Moses had done, and he tried to have Moses killed. Ah! So Moses ran away from Egypt. He stopped in the land of Midian. Ah. And seven sisters came to the well to give water to their father's flock. Some shepherds came to drive them away. Hey, you. But Moses stood up for the women. Hey. Now these sisters were the daughters of the Midianite priest named Jethro. When Jethro heard what Moses did for his daughters, he sent for Moses. 
So Moses came to live among the Midianites, and he married Zipporah, one of Jethro's daughters. Huh? Meanwhile, back in Egypt, the old pharaoh died, but he was replaced by a new pharaoh who continued to treat the Israelites poorly. Ah, oh, man. Israelites cried out to God because of the terrible things that the Pharaoh made them do. God heard these people and knew it was time to act. One day Moses was tending Jethro's flock when an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses through a burning bush that would not burn up. Moses stopped to look at the bush and he heard the voice of God say, Moses, Moses. God then told Moses how sad he was because of the suffering of his people. He told Moses that he wanted to do something about it and he wanted Moses to be the one to do it. Oh, man. But Moses did not think he was the right person to go. God said, I will be with you. Uh, but Moses said that he wouldn't know the right thing to say to the people. So God said to tell the people that God himself had sent him and promised Moses that his plan would be fulfilled through Moses. But Moses still said to God that he did not think the people would believe him. So God said, what is that in your head? Oh. Moses said, a staff. God told Moses to throw it on the ground. Wow, okay. Then God told Moses to catch it. God showed Moses another sign. Huh? And told him to show these signs to the people if they did not believe what he said. Moses still didn't think he would have the right words to say. But God said that he himself was the one who made a man's mouth and gave him the ability to speak. So there was no need to worry. Yet even after all this, Moses said, God, please send someone else. Then God got mad at Moses Oops. and said that he would send Moses' brother Aaron to speak for Moses. So Moses went back to his father-in-law and told him that he needed to go back to Egypt. Moses and his family started their journey back to Egypt. And Moses carried the staff of God in his hand, for this staff would be the tool God would use to demonstrate his awesome power to the Israelites and to the Egyptians.
Hey, Cedar Valley. Uh, it's been a tough week, hasn't it? And uh, we know friends and family who have suffered loss or who have been displaced or who are just anxious about where we're at uh, with regards to the flooding that's happened in the Sumas Flats, affecting other parts of our lives here in the, uh, in the valley. So if you don't mind, I'm going to start with a prayer, just being mindful of where we're at in that, where our friends and family are at in that, and then we'll dig into some teaching. And then I'll also tell you where I'm preaching from. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, oh, it's, it's easy to feel anxious in these things. And uh, we're reminded, even as we feel that, that you tell us you don't need to be anxious. And we don't need to be anxious because you're in control. You know everything, and uh, you are always with us, and you are good. And that's where our, our hope is, that's where our trust is, and that's where our belief is, which we, is what we'll talk about today. So we continue to pray for emergency service workers, those volunteers who are helping out, that you would protect them and we'd be continually praying for them and expressing our appreciation. And while I'm saying that, Father, I'm mindful to thank you for all that you have done in answer to our prayers. The barrel pump station working, water receding, all the lives protected. For those who have lost lives, I pray that you would comfort those who have had such losses livestock, and family. Father, we, uh, we trust you in this because we have nowhere else to turn that is better. We acknowledge that as our need, but also as our comfort and our joy. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a little unusual. I am in Chilliwack, actually across the road from where I live, at Sardis Fellowship Baptist Church on Wells Road in the WAC. I got to tell you, it's pretty cool that uh, our friends here, as part of this fabulous global family of faith, would be willing and able to help us out this way. It won't look the same today, but boy, it feels great to be here. And so thank you, Sardis Fellowship Baptist Church. Please turn in your Bibles then to Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24, where uh, Luke records a story told by Jesus about a great banquet. He was at a dinner with some of his Jewish countrymen. Resurrection was a word just hanging in the air when one of those at his table says to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat the feast in the kingdom of God, which, of course, he presumed included him because of the popular notion at the time that only Jews would be part of that kingdom. This is when Jesus told the parable of the great banquet. And it goes a little bit like this. A man planned a large banquet and he sent out invitations when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to contact each of the invited guests to tell them everything was good to go. One after another, 
The guests made excuses for not coming. One had to see a piece of land he bought. One had to test drive some oxen that he'd bought. Another just got married. It's like, what? Like, that is super lame all three of those excuses. I mean, who buys property without first inspecting it? Ditto for the oxen, actually. And newlyweds, like, too busy to go to a party? Come on. This, of course, angered the master. So he opened the invitation to anyone who would come. He told his servant, just go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And this part of the story is so key because... These were the types of people that the Pharisees, a group of religious leaders at the time of Jesus, considered unclean and under God's curse. Jesus, however, taught and he embodied that the kingdom of God was for everyone. As this parable draws out and as Jesus' life embodied it, hanging out as he did with tax collectors and prostitutes. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant to go out even further and to make them come in, to convince them, to persuade them so that his house would be filled with those who can share in the feast. Because The master wasn't satisfied with a partially full banquet hall. He wanted every place at his table filled. A place for everyone and anyone who would accept his invitation to come, to choose to be there. Those who ignored the invitation to the banquet chose their own fate. They missed out. The master respected their choice by making it Permanent, saying in the story, they would not taste of the banquet. And so sadly it is the case for those who reject Jesus. They will have their choice confirmed. They will not taste of the joys of heaven. And that should break our hearts as much as it would break the heart of this master who's opened his home for this banquet. If God is pictured here as the master of the house, the great banquet as his kingdom, the invited guests as the great Jewish nation who rejected Jesus as their savior, really for no good reason, then here are some takeaways from this story for our purposes this morning. Firstly, the kingdom of God, which ends with a feast, begins with an invitation, and that invitation is for everyone. And then thirdly, People can choose for themselves to accept it or to reject it. We're in a teaching series about our core values as a church. We have already talked about being committed to Bible-focused teaching, uh, authentic living, transformation, unity, and generosity. This morning, we are talking about being a people who are inviting. Specifically, we are asking How am I inviting others into exploring a relationship with Jesus? Which, of course, begins with knowing what the gospel isn't and knowing what the gospel is. So, with respect, 
here are some things that I, I don't think the gospel is. So the gospel isn't give your heart to God or make Jesus Lord or put Jesus on the throne of your life or surrender your life to Jesus or any other religious catchphrases that are popular historically, if not now, in the church. While I think these ideas and phrases are super well-intended and they might be helpful for believers to live for and to serve God, I think they can be confusing for people who just don't believe yet. And here's why. They assume that a person believes God is trustworthy enough to give him their heart. They assume that an unbeliever understands enough about God's will to give God the helm of their life to him. And they don't really, I don't think, speak to the issue of salvation clearly, which is believing in Jesus as one savior from sin and giver of eternal life. To believe is to not is not to give one's heart or to surrender one's life to Jesus. It is to be convinced that Jesus' promise to give eternal life is true for the one who trusts him for it. To do otherwise is to confuse the apparent evidence, as I've just talked about it, for the belief itself. The issue then isn't what we give to God, but what he gives to us, and that is eternal life, as Jesus himself himself describes it in John chapter 4, verse 10. Secondly, the gospel isn't about asking Jesus into your heart or open the door of your heart or invite Jesus into your heart or life. Again, I think all these expressions are well-intended invitations, but I think they stem from a misunderstanding of Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, which reads, here am I, Jesus says, stand. Here am I, standing, I, Jesus, at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus doesn't say that he is knocking on the door of someone's heart. In fact, if he's knocking on any kind of door, it's probably the door of the church in Laodicea to whom the letter is written, from which this expert excerpt in uh, Revelation chapter 3 comes. And then because they are a church, the issue isn't salvation. It's restoration of relationship between Jesus and the church or individuals in the church, using eating together as a common practice of biblical fellowship and friendship. Never mind the confusion that this can cause children who tend to think in concrete terms that their door as a heart, like Jesus is knocking on it or that he's like dwelling in that organ. So is Jesus inside me? asks an innocent six-year-old. Again, the issue of salvation is not about us inviting Jesus to do anything. It's about Jesus inviting us to believe in him. And then there's this. I don't think the gospel is uh, repent or about repent of your sins or confess your sins even. Again, I, I think these characterizations are um, responses of faith for those who believe as opposed to belief itself. And I think they end up confusing unbelievers by making conduct like 
repenting or confessing a condition for salvation. Even more confusing, they might ask, how many sins need to be confessed? Is it the number of sins or the nature of sins, the quality or the quantity of sins that need to be confessed? What about sins that can't be recalled? Like, what if I, will that mean I miss out on the banquet? So, broken record time, we are not saved by what we do or we no longer do, but by believing. A person can turn from their sins, repentance, or agree with God that they have sinned, confession, and not yet be saved because they have not yet believed in Jesus. Last one, the gospel is not a prayer. Sure, if someone is willing to pray a prayer that expresses their belief in Jesus as Savior and Lord, then you can reasonably assume they have already believed in his promise of forgiveness and eternal life. So a prayer expressing this faith or thanking God for the gift of salvation would make sense. But not if people think there is a magic formula prayer to pray or if people confuse the action of prayer for belief itself. This is why me and others have described and continue to describe the gospel as Jesus plus nothing. So, If those are some ideas and expressions about what the gospel isn't, we should ask, what is the gospel? I really like how Jeremy Myers puts it in what he calls the gospel invitation. The gospel invitation is this, believe in Jesus for eternal life. Believe. Not give or surrender or invite or repent or confess or pray a prayer, though, again, these ought to be parts of responsive discipleship, I'd argue, but believe or have faith, which are are the same word, it turns out, in the original Greek. And they mean this, oh, oh, like this, a confident attitude toward God, but then this, someone who takes God at his word. Isn't that great? Belief, faith, a confident attitude toward God, someone who takes God at his word. So believe in Jesus, a person, not just a set of beliefs. And not just belief in God. As the Bible says, even the devil believes in God. And that's found in James chapter 2, verse 19. And he shudders, but rather the belief that Jesus is the one who came to reveal God to us. Because someone can believe in God or a God and still not believe in Jesus. But what exactly do we need to believe about Jesus? That he was human, that he was God incarnate, that he was born of a virgin Mary and lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross to forgive our sin and rose from the dead to give us eternal life? Yes, yes. But maybe not to start. Maybe all we need to believe to begin our relationship with Jesus at the start of exploring it, is to believe his promise for eternal life. As it is repeatedly said in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. John 3, 36 
I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand, says Jesus. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand either. I and the father are one in John chapter 10, verses 28 to 30. And then in John chapter five, verse 11, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this is life in his son. For the wages of sin is death. Paul says in Romans chapter six, verse 23, but the gift of God is, that's right eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, church, do you hear it? The invitation of the gospel is to life. Now, back to the core value and its question. We are a church committed to working on inviting. So we ask ourselves, how am I inviting others into exploring a relationship with Jesus? Which is Actually, to say as well, how are we as a church inviting others into exploring a relationship with Jesus? How about this as the beginning of an answer? By letting God lead us and by letting God take us where he will. Some time ago, uh, Margaret shared a story with a number of us about a recent experience she had at a single parent mom's retreat. Margaret is respectful, and she's unpushy about her faith. So not knowing who she might talk to at the retreat about Jesus, she invited God to show her, to let him lead. So she told the Lord that she'd be willing to talk to anybody that he brought to her that day by the water, and he did. And then she did. She listened to a couple of moms and shared what hope she could with those whom God brought to her that day. There's the invite to inviting, okay? Pray for opportunities, look for them, and seize them when they come. And if you miss them, it's okay. You can repeat that. So pray for opportunities to invite to people into exploring a relationship with Jesus. Look for them and then seize the opportunity when they come. Margaret told me another story about that same time, actually. It was a story of a woman Margaret stumbled upon down at Heritage Park. She was sitting uh, at a picnic table under the shelter. As Margaret approached, she could see a little sign on the table just in front of the woman. It was an invitation for her to pray for anyone who needed prayer. Both Margaret and I and others who were there hearing the story just thought that was a really cool idea, actually. And so people came. People came for prayer because that woman invited. Some time ago, I was driving up the parking lot towards the church and spotted a Subaru parked in our driveway at the top of it uh, near the east wing. I've seen it before, and I'd wondered if maybe someone was sleeping in their car in our parking lot, our private parking lot, with signs all over the place that say, private parking lot. So as I'm coming up the driveway, and as I'm seeing laundry set out to dry all around the perimeter of the car, I have this little chat with Jesus that went something like this. I'm pretty frustrated, Jesus. This is person, this person is parking in our private parking lot and they haven't even asked permission. It looks bad and it creates possible liability issues. What do you want me to do about this? 
So I parked my car and I stopped talking to Jesus to listen for his answer, which seemed to me was this really simply. Um, why don't you just, why don't you just go and ask them their name and take it from there? Classic Jesus, because he wouldn't just tow them. He'd get to know them. So that's what I did. His name is Joel. We had a coffee one Wednesday night some time ago when I learned that Joel lost his job and his apartment because of COVID. He told me his parents don't like him and kicked him out, nor do the parents of his girlfriend of six years. He knows he can't stay in our parking lot, but thought a church would be a safe place to come and go from for a short time, and I'm glad that we're proving him right. We have his contact info, and he has ours, and he has signed an agreement to protect us and him against any liability. He is hoping to have work in a new apartment soon. In the meantime, we can pray for Joel. And if any of you feel led to do anything more, seize the opportunity. We are currently being invitational in Joel's life by being present to him. Speaking of what's happening on campus, some time ago, your leadership team and your transition team began to pray about where God might be leading the church, uh, praying for a, a vision for the church. And what became clear over time was this desire to offer the God-given gift of our church campus as a gift in service of the people in our community of mission. Interestingly, and by no coincidence, uh, we would say as leaders, very shortly thereafter, people in our community started coming our way to rent facility spaces so that we have hosted a federal election polling station. We have hosted a local Stratus AGM. We have hosted the Mission Health Auxiliary Society's AGM. And we hosted a United, worker, United Way worker named Archie who led a cooking class for those suffering with diabetes in our Punjabi community. So that as of this week, we have Canadian Blood Services continuing to use our space and expanding its usage to AA groups meeting on campus, to NA groups meeting on campus, to fitness classes meeting on campus, a church plant meeting on Sunday mornings concurrent with when we meet, an autism intervention small group, a BC Boys soccer club practicing in the activity center for a couple of upcoming indoor mini soccer ball tournaments, a group of Punjabi papas playing cards every afternoon in the fireside room. So that, as of now, we are in dialogue with wind and tide about expanding our child care services to mission to include preschool, daycare, and after-school care. We didn't, we didn't market any of this. We didn't go after any of this. It just came to us as if God brought it our way. So what now? What now? Margaret didn't bother with that question until she was there. And just let God take those conversations where they went. We'd be guessing at where that women's prayers would take those who visited her at the park, but I bet she's okay with just praying for people, letting God do what God will do with her prayers. 
I, we don't know where God will take Joel's story, but we're a part of it now with kindness and prayer and who knows what else. And we surely don't know where God might take us and all of those who have come our way to share in the gift that he has given us, which we call our campus. It's been a bit messy uh, renting as we have this fall, and we're figuring it out as we go along. And that's a bit anxiety producing for some of us, but we are doing our best because we didn't want to turn people away who needed our help. Let me ask you this then in the end. How are you inviting others into exploring a relationship with Jesus? Do you know what the gospel isn't? Do you know what the gospel is? It's an invitation to everyone into eternal life with Jesus beginning now. So we can invite others into exploring a relationship with Jesus at whatever stage they might be in knowing him. From not knowing him yet, to knowing him for quite a while. It begins with belief in Jesus for eternal life. Then it's an adventure of giving ourselves to him as the one who died and lives for us, of inviting Jesus to transform our spiritual hearts, of calling sin, sin, and turning away from it to healing and wholeness in Jesus, and praying prayers that sound more like a conversation between best friends than telemarketed scripts. My advice then, let Jesus lead you and let him take you where he will. Here's a pair of discussion questions for you to apply the teaching. Here's the first one. How do you let God lead you? How can you feel confident that it's God leading you? And then secondly, where has God led you? What's a story or two of a time when you felt God lead you to do or say something or not do or say something that invited someone into exploring a relationship with Jesus at whatever point they might be in that process? Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that you are always at work through your spirit in the world at drawing people to you. That's, that's your job. I suppose if our part in that is any, which I think it is, it's this, to be inviting as people and as a church as a whole. Inviting people initially into the gospel, which is to believe in Jesus for eternal life. And then inviting each other who have made that decision by faith and belief in Jesus to give our lives increasingly over to his love for us and his guidance of us, his forgiveness of us, and his invitation in a deep relationship with him. Father, I pray that during this turbulent week and probably weeks to come yet with infrastructure being rebuilt, that we would be people as followers of Jesus, distinct in the ways that we care for each other, but also in the ways we care for and invite others into exploring a relationship with you. Because 
we are convinced that there is no better way to live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Peace, Cedar Valley. Thank you.